Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello and welcome to Sibline's podcast series. I'm Liana Semchuk, Lead Europe and Eurasia Analyst, and I'm joined today by our Europe Analysts, Louis Cox Brusso and Sophia Wolford, to discuss the upcoming French presidential elections, with the first round set to be held on the 10th of April. Louis, Sophia, thank you both for joining me. It certainly looks like a very close race between the incumbent president, Emmanuel Macron, and his main far-right rival, Marine Le Pen. Given the latest indicators, Louis, perhaps we can start out with you. What do you see as the most likely outcome of the first round of the polls on the 10th of April? Is this essentially a two-horse race with Le Pen and Macron both guaranteed to make it to the second round? Yeah, thanks, Miana. This is definitely going to be a really interesting election and probably one of the closest in living memory in France. So at the time of recording, it looks very, very likely like we're going to see a second round runoff between Marine Le Pen and Emmanuel Macron. There are several other candidates, including the far-right ideologue Eric Zemmour, the centrist conservative Valérie Pécresse, and the socialist leader Jean-Luc Mélenchon. However, no one candidate has enough support right now to guarantee an overwhelming first-round victory. Macron remains at about 27%, according to voter intention polls. However, other candidates are a long way behind him. So Le Pen has closed the gap between herself and Macron in the first round to maybe as little as three percentage points, according to some polls. But the next closest is the socialist leader, uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who remains at about 17%. So it's not totally guaranteed that we'll see Le Pen and Macron make it to the second round. There is always a chance of a kind of outside kind of upset, but it does seem very unlikely that anyone else will qualify. A couple of things I'll just add quickly. I mean, to date, it's very much the case that Le Pen's voter base on the far right appear to be the most motivated and energised. She's certainly got the fastest growing base of any one candidate at present. So even if we do see low voter turnout, as some outlets are predicting, that shouldn't play against her. And it does look very, very much like we'll see her and Macron make it to the second round on the 24th of April. Thank you, Louis. And could you elaborate a bit on the specific issues that have mobilised the electorate ahead of this election? Crucially, we have the ongoing invasion of Ukraine, which, of course, is having a profound impact on Europe in many ways. But has this specific event impacted Macron's prospects of re-election, do you think, or indeed the prospects of other candidates? Yep, again, it's a really good question. The, the short answer is yes, the invasion definitely has impacted this election in a big way. And ahead of the second round, rather, it definitely will continue to. So just to kind of spell this out a bit, there are a couple different factors playing into the election here. Some of them are very recent, like you mentioned, the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine. And some are a bit more entrenched, going as far back as Macron's first term election in 2017. Chiefly, what we've seen, Macron has managed to accumulate a lot of detractors who are displeased with the way he's handled more kind of longer term issues like the COVID-19 pandemic, the religious divides in France, and even his handling of protests against his own government, whether related to the pandemic or whether related to the Yellow Vest movement in 2019-20. Uh, there are also a few other issues. Macron has made specific pledges, uh, some of which were part of his campaign manifesto in 2017, on things like uh, labour and immigration reform, uh, education sector reform and climate policy. And to date, a lot of those pledges are seen by the electorate as having either been ignored or simply kind of not met. So his approval ratings have declined fairly steadily since he was elected in 2017. And it certainly doesn't help that he faced the largest street protests in recent French history, both from the LOS movement and over his handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. What this means in the longer term, there are a lot of voters kind of around the centre to centre-right 
who might otherwise kind of identify with the centrist stance that Macron normally takes, but they become very, very disillusioned with how he's handled these crises historically. And there's some evidence to suggest a large portion of them might actually look at abstaining from at least the first round this Sunday for kind of protest. That kind of abstention might prove catastrophic for Macron if it, if it happens during the second round, but that's a different question. For the meantime, Macron has actually seen a big jump in his voter intention ratings, thanks to basically the so-called war effect. The Russian invasion of Ukraine in February saw polls for Macron jump to over 30%, which is the highest in a generation. And his own self-stated role as a mediator has really helped his domestic image and to kind of paper over the, the cracks in terms of his failures to make good on certain campaign pledges. It's important to remember he's the only major EU leader who regularly speaks to both Ukrainian uh, Vladimir Zelensky and also to Vladimir Putin. Now, that might become an issue uh, later on in the second round, depending on how his talks with especially Putin go. But for the time being, he's managed to secure, as it were, the image of a mediator and a peacemaker. But that's kind of a two-edged sword. It does mean that he'll be judged on his own successes in the next couple of weeks. And if there is a major surge in hostilities in Ukraine, that may actually backfire and make him look as if he is essentially a weak mediator. The other thing that it's done is that is the Russian invasion has also provided something of, of an indirect boost to Marine Le Pen. Le Pen is interesting because she is fairly overtly uh, pro-Kremlin in her leadings, and she's spoken quite openly about how once the war ends, quote-unquote, Russia and France should be allies. And she's managed to, to survive a few fairly high-profile gaffes, such as using uh, publicity material in her campaign, showing her shaking hands with Vladimir Putin. However, what's helped her is the other far-right candidate who was in the running until very recently, Eric Zemmour, who is in most senses rather more extreme in his political leanings than Le Pen is. His campaign has basically crashed and burned due to essentially much, much more overtly pro-Kremlin standings that he takes, but also due to high-profile gaffes related to immigration and allegations of hate speech made against him and his campaign staff. So the effect this has had has been basically to gut Zemmour's campaign, but those voters are now flocking in fairly large numbers to Le Pen's banner. So while Macron has definitely benefited in some ways from his own handling of the Ukraine crisis today, it's also had the effect of crystallizing and consolidating the far right behind a single candidate. And that might still prove very, very difficult for Macron if he can't overcome the main issue of voter abstention. Great. Thanks very much, Louis, for that overview. Certainly underlines the broader impact of the Ukraine and Russia crisis on the political landscape in Europe more broadly. And turning to you, Sophia, and thinking about further broader impacts of this election and in the event of a Le Pen victory, how could this impact the wider EU, given her links to Eurosceptic parties in places such as Denmark, Italy and Hungary, for example? What might the longer term fallout of Le Pen presidency look like? Thanks, Liana. I think Le Pen's win would have a significant impact on the uh, European Union's future. First, it could galvanize far-right waters across the EU, including in Italy, Germany, Netherlands, or Denmark, as you said, as they have developed relatively close ties with the French far-right over the past decade. Besides, Le Pen's presidency would also potentially increase cooperation between far-right and nationalist parties within the European Parliament, and could boost the membership of the far-right and Eurosceptic identity and democracy political group that was launched in 2019. In case we indeed see the strengthening of uh, Eurosceptic voices within the EU, it can have a substantial impact on the EU's future. For instance, it could lead to weaker rule of law standards, the disruption of integration and harmonization processes in various policy areas, and significant shifts in foreign defense uh, policy cooperation. 
while Macron would likely push for a greater cooperation in European foreign and defense policy, Le Pen would potentially pursue isolationism. Lastly, I think it is quite likely that a Le Pen presidency would undermine joint EU action against Russia, as you already mentioned, Louis, considering her close ties to President Putin, as well as her pledge to reduce the cost of living in France, that would likely mean that she would not support any joint EU ban on Russian energy imports. Thank you, Sophia. And last question from me. What are some of the indicators that you would say we should be looking at ahead of the potential second round? Are there any wild cards, so to speak, whether in terms of developments abroad, such as in Ukraine or domestically within France, that could swing the battle between Macron and Le Pen one way or another? Thanks, Leona. Yeah, there are a few uh, potential wildcards. There's also a couple of things which should be kind of highlighted going into this election, some things which tend to be kind of relevant to French elections in general. Firstly, there are two weeks between the first and second rounds of the election. That's a lot of time, certainly enough time for various real world events to change the uh, voter calculus. First thing to note is if we do see high levels of voter abstention in the first round, which is probably likely, it doesn't necessarily mean we'll see it again in the second round. So if we think back to the 2002 elections, although that feels like a lifetime ago, that saw Marine Le Pen's father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, advance to the second round against uh, Jacques Chirac, based pretty much solely on protest votes and voter abstention. That was a historic election for a lot of reasons, mainly because it was the first time a far-right candidate made it to the second round. But he lost the second round by the largest margin in living memory. Now, his daughter, Marine Le Pen, has obviously managed to mobilise and entrench the far-right as a much more formidable force in French and European politics than her father has. So in some cases, you know, the situation has definitely changed. But it is important to note that while there might be some people who will vote Le Pen in the first round or who will abstain from voting entirely, if she does see the really strong performance that we expect in the first round, that might be enough of a shock to the system to mobilise large swaths of the centrist vote to get out and vote in the second round in favour of Macron. It's quite a clumsy phrase, but I'd say here that the phrase choosing the lesser of two evils would probably apply to a large chunk of the French population who may be quite displeased with Macron, but they may see uh, Le Pen as a much, much more dangerous uh, influence on the country, as it were. To argue against what I've just said, it's also worth noting that of the two candidates, Le Pen does still have a lot more momentum than Macron does. Macron has sat pretty much uh, static, about 26 to 27% of voter intention for the last couple of weeks. Le Pen has been sailing upwards uh, during that time. So she's not likely to lose votes to voter abstention, that's for sure. She also knows how to capitalise on her opponent's failings. And this is where Macron possibly faces a bit more pressure than Le Pen does. Le Pen has already had a major gaffe over her kind of tacit uh, approval of the Kremlin's activities and of her kind of more generally pro-Russian stance. So that's how in the public consciousness people know about that. It's not a surprise anymore. What Macron faces right now, by contrast, could be a lot more damaging. He's facing an ongoing investigation into his government's alleged misuse of public procurement protocols, alleged corruption within the government and and police force. And there's still a really strong chance that he could make a serious error of judgment related to the Ukraine crisis. So, you know, if there was to be a a serious uptick in uh, hostilities and Macron is perceived to maintain negotiations with Putin in such a way that it handles to, to the Russian leaders' wishes or desires, or if Le Pen can frame what Macron is doing in that kind of light, that will seriously damage his own standings with the public. So Macron needs to be a lot more careful over the next two weeks than Le Pen does. But he does still have one tool left, and that is essentially the fact that he still plays the peacemaker role. Le Pen is a known kind of quantity in that regard. And if there was to be a downturn in hostilities, or if there was to be more crystallization within the EU behind the idea of sanctions, and, and Macron was seen to play a key role 
in organizing and uh, as it were kind of enforcing those sanctions in, in, in terms of whipping other member states into line, that might give him the advantage that he needs to, to swing the election. But to be honest with you, three days out from the, from the first round, this is very much anyone's game. Macron does have a slight advantage, but there's still a lot of room for one big mistake by the candidate to really swing things out of the way. Thanks very much, Louis, and thank you, Sophia, for your time today. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. We're now joined by Edie Lipton, our Associate Sub-Saharan Africa Analyst, to highlight key events to watch in the week ahead. The first event to watch will be the demonstrations that activists have called in Tunisia on the 10th of April to mark the country's Martyrs' Day and to protest against the unilateral decisions of President Kai Saeed outside the municipal theatre in Tunis. Further demonstrations are likely in other parts of the capital, as well as nationwide, generating localised disruptions to overland transport, with possible clashes between protesters and security forces. In Brazil, protesters will march to denounce President Bolsonaro's re-election bid in the October presidential elections on the 9th of April. Participants will also protest over rising fuel prices, inflation and unemployment, among other socio-economic issues. Any unrest during the protests will likely be localised, but security forces' potential use of excessive force to disperse protesters could pose risk to bystanders' safety. From the 13th to the 16th of April, people in Myanmar will be celebrating Thingyang, the Burmese New Year festival. This is typically the most important holiday in the Burmese calendar, with many businesses closing for the period. Anti-Junta protesters have indicated that they will participate in protest activity during the festival period, with civilian militias also indicating that they will carry out attacks on the Junta as part of a revolutionary Thingyang. And finally, the trial of former President Jacob Zuma at Peter Maritzburg High Court on 11th of April is likely to spark pro-Zuma protests across KwaZulu-Natal. Protests could become violent, driving clashes with security forces who will likely use excessive force in response. Increased security deployment will also likely cause disruptions to the movement of goods and personnel in the province. If you would like further information about the topics discussed today, please feel free to contact us at info at